So hello everyone, uh, welcome back to Piel de Miel. Um, before we get started on today's topic, today's episode, I'm gonna hand it over to Diana for our usual land recognition. Thank you. Um, and so we would like to acknowledge that the land that we are on um, in Denver, Colorado is occupied land. Um, and we'd like to do this because the United States has historically worked hard to erase the narratives of native peoples. So we'd like to honor and acknowledge that we are on the traditional territories and ancestral homelands of the Cheyenne and Arapaho nations. And at the same time, we'd, al we'd also like to acknowledge that this area has also been a site of um, trade, healing, gathering for many other native nations, including the Ute, Lakota, Kiowa, Comanche, Apache, Shoshone and many other Native nations. And just a reminder, um, in all that we do, right, this is Indigenous land. Yes. So with that intention in mind, I think we're ready to start uh, our episode for today. Thank you, Diana. So our episode today consists all about uh, first-gen and what it means to be a first-gen student and a first-gen person and that identity um, that some of us may uh, have, right? So um, we have some guests for that, um, and we would like our guests to introduce themselves. So whoever wants to get started first on introducing themselves, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what, what do you do? Myself, so my name is Selena Jaratovar. Um, I am uh, currently a case manager at a clinic in Denver. Um, I. Um, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado. Um, I was born and raised there. Um, my family is from um, Jalisco, Mexico. Um, and yeah, that's basically what I do. Oh, what I studied in school. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did a double major. So I did uh, studio art and I did psychology as well as a minor in ethnic oh, studies. It's so good to see you all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Luna Bibi Lai. I'm also from Denver, Colorado. My parents are from Saigon, Vietnam, and immigrated in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I also went to CU Boulder, which is how I met all of you. And I studied integrative physiology and got a public health certificate. And I'm actually wrapping up uh, it's my last week of graduate school at the George Washington University. Um, I'm getting <laughs> getting my master's of public health in health policy. Awesome, thank you. And um, I'm I think we're both me and Esmeralda are both so happy to to see both of you. And really, it's an honor to like be able to share space. I think when we we're all going to see you together when we were there at the same time there were times where I think we would go to the cultural unity and engagement center which is where Luna and I met and where our friendship blossomed um <laughs> or the women's resource center and eat over like really deep conversation um and I think those memories are really really close to my heart I think it's also before we get further into like talking about some more of our experiences. I think it's also important to acknowledge that being a first generation student, so being the first person in your family to go to college is a privilege itself, right? 
it's it's an opportunity that not everyone in our communities gets and it's also not something that everyone has to do it isn't the epitome of success and i think we can dive deeper into that as we get into um, talking about our own experiences yeah i agree and i think um yeah i forgot to mention that we all went to see you the first person i met like on campus of like our group right now was selena um, we went to like a group together before the summer before actually attending school. And then we just kind of naturally met Diana. And then like Diana introduced us to Luna. So we're, it's like this whole like circle of connection um, that we were privileged enough, like you said, to be able to make too, right? Yeah, and I, I also want to add on to that. I think like as first generation students, right? Like it is tough being on a campus and not really knowing where to go to find people to connect with. So I feel really privileged in the fact that like we were able to to find each other and connect each other to each other, right? Like we, like Esmeralda said, me and Esmeralda met at a summer program before starting our undergrad at CU Boulder. And then we met Diana through the course of another friend. And then we met Luna through the course of Diana. So it's just, um, just knowing that like, at least for first-generation students, or at least myself as a first-generation student, it was super important to find community on campus, which I think is often not as, as um, it doesn't happen as often, unfortunately. Um, I've heard of other first-gen students who, who struggle with that, but um, I know that that was a privilege and, and something that I really appreciated, and that definitely helped, kept me along in my, my um, undergrad career. Yeah, and I think that that experience of feeling alone um, and almost like seeking community just to be able to survive, I think that lends itself pretty well into this first question that we um, came up with. What does being a first-generation college student mean to you? Right, what was the experience like for you? What was it like when you maybe were applying to college when you were in high school and then when you got to the university as a freshman. What was that like for you? I will say, like, this is Luna. I will say that um, my experience with like applying for undergrad and then just more recently applying for grad school, like, you know, I went to, I went to a public school in Westminster, Colorado, and, um, a lot of my peers were like low income. A lot of us were on free reduced school lunch. We um, just growing up, like, you know, my family, my own family, like we are lower middle income. Um, so I will say, you know, like there was a lot of pressure to just graduate high school. Like that was the main focus of my high school. My teachers were just trying to get everyone to graduate high school period. And but at the same time, you know, because I was enrolled in AP classes and IB classes, like my teachers were also like, you know, it's kind of an expectation. Um, I think because it's so stigmatized that like, you know, if you're seeking these higher, these quote unquote higher classes or classes that will help with like college credit that you are going to go to college. So I think, you know, my counselors, my teachers, because I was enrolled in these classes, were pushing us to go to college. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I got a lot of support in terms of like getting enrolled into programs that helped with college application, 
with the finances of applying to college because applications could range from like $50 to $75 and you didn't even know if you were going to get in. And so for a low-income family where $50 and $75, that goes a long way, you know. So I was fortunate enough, like I didn't have to pay for any of my undergrad college apps. But then for and applying for grad school, like I didn't have any counselors, any professors who were like, you should really consider grad school. You should, you know, this is how you apply. Like I had to do my own research in terms of like, you know, financial programs that would help with applying to begin with, like because applications were way more expensive. They could range from 100 to 200 for each school. And I didn't have that kind of money <laughs> as a newly like undergrad do it you know like um you're just not making that kind of money to apply for grad school or even to prepare for it I think going into undergrad I felt more prepared than going into grad just because of the programs that were made available to my high school community yeah so it's almost like we're we're high right getting from high school to college, but then it just got even more difficult because like you said, like it's very difficult to be able to afford $50 for one school, let alone if you if you wanna to apply to three schools or um, you want to vary your choices. You don't really have that option if you don't have support, if you don't have assistance. I was fortunate to where my school, um, because we were also mostly free and reduced lunch, we had a lot of waivers. So I was able to apply to universities for free. I didn't have to pay. And even then, it was extremely stressful. Of money that you're both bringing up, because for me, like being a first gen student had a lot to do with money, mm-hmm. right? And just like, like the fear that I had that I was going to be accepted into somewhere I wanted and my parents weren't going to be able to afford it was really, really rough. Like I wanted to go, like my first choice was like DU. And you is so expensive. And like, I, I knew like in the back of my mind, I was like, my parents can't afford this. And even if I get scholarships and a lot of support, um, I know there's going to be like a huge, huge barrier when it comes to money. And even going into college, being at CU, just the cultural shock in terms of money, right. most students are very wealthy and you're like, you clearly do not fit in. Like, I did not like, I went there and I was like, whoa, like, what are, what are these white people wearing? Like, I've never heard of these brands. Like, I was so, like, shocked. I was like, and just that, right? Like, that experience, to me, is a lot what being first-gen means. Yeah. Or the fact that, I mean, every, like, vacation or spring break, they were going to Coachella or, like, all these, like, trips. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just staying here. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, no, I think my experience is very much mere... Um, Diana and, and Luna's experiences of like, I I went to a school where, yeah, most of us were on free and reduced lunch. And um, so I had a lot of support through like, once again, waivers. And then, you know, my school counselor telling me about the Common App and even just telling me about Daniel's Fund, which I was like, what is that? Um, so Daniel's Fund is like a big scholarship that supposedly pays um, or it does pay, I think, 10 years or is it? just your undergrad it pays for your and i'm i'm salty about the daniels fund i'm salty too because oh <laughs> so it's a it's a scholarship that is based in colorado and so if you get the daniels fund 
you are basically able to go to whatever university you want. The scholarship will cover everything that your financial aid would not um, cover. The Daniels Fund is, is almost like a free ride, right, to college. That's, that's how we would call it in, in school. Yeah. Um, and I'm salty because I was a finalist um, for the Daniels Fund and I didn't get it. I was a finalist with four, so it was four of us from my high school and the three other people got it. And I, I was know this. that didn't get it yet. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so <laughs> my, my level of salty is not as much as maybe Diana's, but I mean, I also, I applied for it and then I found out that this guy who cheated off of some of my freshmen like my my ninth grade like math homework got it and i was like excuse you sir like oh i was so oh upset. my god expose him no just kidding I, I, <laughs> my name is i'm just kidding <laughs> drop that name <laughs> no but i mean but yeah that that was like my experience as like a first gen student going into undergrad and and i also you know i was fortunate to have like a cousin who was about 3 years older than me and she was going to see you Boulder. So she sort of like knew of stuff and would let me know, like, here's this. And I had a sister who had um, gone to school before. So like my, my like definition of first gen was a little bit different because I was scared by the time I went to college because my sister had gone to college that I wasn't gonna be considered first gen. And I was like, my parents don't have money to pay to put me through school. Yeah. And my sister, yeah, and so that's why I was scared. I was like, I'm not going to be a first generation student. But what nobody tells you is that, like, no, it, it, it's not if your siblings went. It's like if your parents went. And so it's like your siblings can go, and they can still get access to first generation resources. Um, and also, like, I was able to do that too. But I think my sister's experience and my experience were different. Like, we're ten years apart. We went to schools in two different states um she's a half sister so I was never really raised with her but um but it was just yeah like I I sort of had a little bit of like family um passing on their like experiences onto me so that was beneficial but I think if anything most of it did come from my school counselors and um being pushed like like Luna said I was in AP classes I was in these advanced math classes and all this other stuff so just being being in those classes like the, the expectation is for you to apply to school get into school and uh, like finish school right um or finish uh, college or your undergrad um because even to this day like I still had teachers following me up up until like my junior year of college just making sure I was still in college um which is problematic in the sense because it's like you know they should put that energy into everyone not just these students that are identified and put into these classes and obviously like I am aware of my privilege there and, and I appreciate being pushed there because um, I don't I don't know if I would have um, I would have applied to as many schools as I did when I was applying for undergrad because I did apply to a few and and I was able to get um, some sort of financial assistance from most of them so and I hear from other students where it's like I applied to one and they let me in so that that's great but um i think it's it's often hard like when it comes to like paying for applications and everything to apply for a few but there is waivers out there and people don't tell you and with grad applications i mean i'm looking at grad applications right now too luna um and there's waivers out there but they're not as 
forward or, or someone doesn't tell you like this, there's a waiver here, or there's like funding here for you to apply, um, which is like a lot harder, at least in my sense so far, applying for grad school is like trying to find, it's like, what is it called? Like gatekeepers, like they're gatekeeping all this information, <laughs> um, which I think Order. is it's important. Yeah, yeah, hoarding all that information. Um, and like, unless we know someone that went to grad school, we're not really going to know about that information, which sucks. You know, they also, a lot of the times, from my experience, being in the integrative physiology department at CU Boulder, where a lot of the kids are competitive, a lot of the kids have already, aren't first generation, and their parents are doctors, physicians, like, you know, quote unquote, highly educated people who have um, high paying jobs. And, you know, like, a lot of my counselors were just so unempathetic at CU Boulder, you know, like they all they all I, you know, I would go in to talk with them about future career paths. um, And also to ask about like what public health was, because that was truly the first like in college was the first time I had heard about public health. Um, which by the way, it was sold to me in such a like deceiving way. Like I will never forgive my public health (laughs) professors, (laughs) like retaking some courses, which I can't afford. Like I cannot afford to stay at this institution for longer than I, I intend to, you know, or, and they were just so didn't ask about, you know, what it's like being a woman of color on a predominantly white campus. Didn't think about it. And oftentimes would even confuse me for another Asian woman and would like miss, miss, like represent like my career paths and my goals and my ambitions in life because they thought I was another Asian woman student on campus, which is like so, which was so wrong. And every time it happened, it just made me feel like, you know, I didn't even matter on, on this campus and like my goals and my dreams didn't even matter to them because I was just another student to like checklist off, like, you know, counseled (laughs) and I think that's so telling too like if we think about the way that we were treated um some of our experiences some of the experiences from other people that we know because I know all of us were pretty heavily involved with camp on campus with student organizations and um different resource centers scholarship programs so the experiences that we have are not in isolation and I think it's very telling of how we were treating is telling of how other students had resources outside of the university. I remember I was in one of my classes and it, um, it was through one of my scholarship programs. I had, I had to take an honors class. And so I was in this honors class, there were maybe 15 students in the whole class. And this, this girl was just talking about how she was able to do all the reading and like had time to hang out and do whatever and was looking for a job. And in my head, right, this was my junior year. I think she was a senior. I thought, well, you like, you're not working. You like, you don't have a job. That was so, it was so weird to me. But at the same time, I knew it. I already knew that people didn't have jobs. Privilege was just so apparent in that moment that I had to work from the first month that I stepped foot on campus to when I left. And that's not a choice that many of us have. It's not an, it's not an option on 
of whether I am going to work or I'm just going to hang out because I get some money or whatever. And I think that speaks to the, I don't know, like my experience with like the overload of things that I had to take on my plate because I was first gen. Like you're saying, like I, there was one at one point, I think it was like my sophomore or junior year where I was working like three or four jobs and involved in like a bunch of organizations, like taking like 18 credits. Like, and like, I didn't do that because I wanted to, like, I wasn't like happy doing it. I was doing it because like you said, like I needed the money, like I needed to do things on campus because I wanted to be part of that community because I was already not fitting in with like the English majors. I had to afford food and I had to afford like a place to live. Um, and that, that becomes like overwhelming, I think. And yeah, it was so overwhelming. And that was like my experience throughout most of college, just having to work, having to be like, having to be thrown into being financially responsible, maybe when you're not even ready. But when it, it came like, to college, it wasn't even a question of like, like I knew I had to work, right? So yeah, just having that response, being thrown into that responsibility and taking like a load, an overload of things on your plate was pretty, pretty rough. I don't know if you, you all kind of struggled with that too. Yeah, I feel like I, I definitely struggled with that. Like I remember just like obviously having like my daily talk with my mom like on the phone like I would just call her in between classes or whatever and just mentioning like oh I'm so stressed like I have obviously like I was doing two majors and like um I was a part of student orgs and just like I also had to work and then I had to work off campus and so that was like getting to my job off campus and my mom just telling me like you need to take some things off your plate like you you always jump in and you add too much on your plate but it's also like that expectation that I had put on myself and I don't know if other first generation students put this expectation like obviously I had to work because I had to pay rent that was a no given my parents definitely could not afford $500 out of their own money a month to you know have me have a place to stay um but if, if anything it was like I felt like as first generation students, we do jump on a lot of like student orgs and, and we get super involved because we, we seek that community. And also um, because at the, at the time, like we don't think of it as like I'm putting in work or I'm doing extra, like it's just like, oh, I'm hanging out with friends. But at the same time, we are doing extra. Like you never hear these white kids being like, oh, I, I'm in this student org, I'm in this student org, I'm in this student org. Oh, I have friends in this student org. So sometimes I join them. Um, like they're, they freaking finish their classes, go home, take a nap, watch Netflix, whatever, like order food every day. <laughs> or like what, what got me one time was like, I was walking to a required like check-in for one of my scholarship groups across campus after getting off of work, um, and I remember passing by Fair and Field and just like it was a sunny day. So everybody was on the field and I was talking to my mom and I just started bursting crying. And I was like, why the hell do they get to enjoy like just being out in nature? Why like they they don't have responsibilities? Like what is up with that? Like I just got off of work like and just feeling frustrated. And on top of that, being expected to go meet up with like for a scholarship requirement so I can continue getting more money to pay for my school. <laughs> um, and so that was just like really frustrating. And I think that was like one of my breaking points was just like 
seeing people enjoy themselves and not acknowledge that them enjoying themselves and even just being out in nature at like the evening at like 6 p.m. on a Friday was like a privilege because I wasn't doing that, right? Like I was having to go to things. I was having to get off of work. Yes. So. Retweet everything everyone has said. Yes. So much. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I just like cannot retweet that enough. Like I just remember to like majority of my classes. So I first started out as a molecular developmental cellular biology. I can't even remember the full name. <laughs> An MCDB major. Like <laughs> I just can't remember the name, whatever. See, that's how insignificant, though. <laughs> like, whatever. True. But I started out as an MCDB major, and I remember just sitting in class. Luckily, you know, I had one other high school friend who also went to see Boulder. So we, you know, we actually signed up for the same major unknowingly. And, like, yeah, I thought that that was, like, really nice to start out college, being on a huge-ass campus, getting that culture shock, like Esmeralda said, about just, like, being surrounded by so many white people, so many white privileged people who have class privilege and are just like rich or, you know, can afford just kind of like their families can afford for their kid to go to college. They can afford to pay like their mortgage and their kids rent. Like that was so ridiculous to me. I just couldn't imagine that. But and I just remember going through throughout like, you know, even when I switched majors, just like meeting people who had never worked a single day in their life, like never had a labor job, had never had to pay for anything on their own. Like their parents were paying for their tuition, their rent, car, whatever, food, credit card, debit card. And I was just like, this is like, I just couldn't imagine. Like, I really couldn't. Like, I remember day one just being like, okay, like, where do I get a, an on-campus job? Like, I need to get an on-campus yeah. job. And having to go to jumping through hoops, like, going to different resource centers just to ask, like, where do I go for campus jobs? Like, I don't even know where to start on here, you know? And, yeah, I just, like, that's, I think that was, like, the biggest thing for me. But also it was, because I was, I was privileged enough to, like, live at home um, and to commute like on public transit from Boulder to Westminster and back and forth. Um, but even just getting off the bus onto campus, I was just like, it just, I felt, I didn't have the words when I was a freshman when I first stepped off on, on foot onto campus, but um, definitely felt so out of place. Definitely felt like, you know, I was just like, I, I don't even know if I belong here. Is this the right campus for me? Should I even be in college? Like, what is it that I actually want to seek to accomplish? And like, you know, and again, that lack of community at first, because it's so hard to find community, you really have to actively seek it out, was just so tough. I can, I really resonate with that. Um, I was fortunate enough to where my high school had worked with two other high schools in, the, in Colorado Springs to get a group of students. And we were all Latinx students um, together that would go to Boulder once every year. So I went starting my sophomore year every year. So I went three times to visit the campus. And we worked with, I think the honors department 
the um, Office of Diversity and Equity. Um, I don't remember the acronym, but yeah, that the office, they worked together to provide like a campus tour. They took us to the dining hall. We got to talk to a couple of professors and my senior year, they let the seniors sit in to um, a, an honors class. And the class that I sat in on was a Spanish class. And so I was like, I love Spanish. I, I love literature. I was always really good in English at, in my English classes and my history classes. So I decided I wanted to do Spanish and history. And that professor that I had met, I took a class with her and she's the one that I asked like, hey, where can I get a job? I don't really know anything. And, and she remembered me, which I was super, super surprised about. Um, didn't end up working with the Spanish department. Not everyone was as great as her. But then when I guess back up to, um, I decided I was going to go to CU and they had the admitted students day. I had already visited the campus three times. I had already been to Boulder. But that day that I just that I went to the admitted students day, I felt extremely out of place because when I had visited the campus, it was almost like a sheltered environment to where the students that led the tours were also students of color. Um, one of the students was actually Jocelyn, who I would later like actually become friends with, which was really, really awesome. Um, so it was it was a great experience when I was in high school. But then when I was on my own and I realized there were not only white students that had financial privilege and racial privilege, but also other students of color that also had financial privilege. And I didn't have that. And it, I was like, I don't really want to go here. I like made a huge mistake. And so my first year was just really overshadowed by all of that. And I didn't want to return to CU. I wanted to go back home. I would go home like almost every single weekend. And that was really hard. And I wasn't able to find a real solid community outside of like my scholarship programs until uh, my sophomore year, which is when I met Luna at the end of my sophomore year. And Esmeralda and Selena, actually, I met both of you during your freshman year. Yeah, because I remember when you quit working at the Spanish department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I like walked with you over there. You're, you're like telling me like, I really want to quit. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, um, living at the dorm was like, the time when I realized, like, shoot, like, this freaking sucks. Like, because I, like, I don't know, just like being in white culture <laughs> was so rough. Like, because I had a white roommate, I was like, I was so confused I'm from Aurora. So, like, we, like, I grew up not seeing white people <laughs> in general. Um, I went to like schools that like had like maybe like one white person. Like, it was like that for me. So just like the fact of like sharing space with like a white person was really shocking to me. Um, and then seeing that the only one that wasn't being invited to things to like events with like sororities yeah. and do this, and they all just bonded so easily. And but not me. Like I think they like immediately saw me as an other. And I felt like another too. I kind of looked at myself and I was like, dang, like I hate my clothes. I hate my shoes. I hate my hair. I hate like everything about myself. It was a really, really hard time. And like you said, Diana, like I would end up going home like 
a lot of the weekends too because I just didn't want to be there because I knew I wasn't going to be like invited to things I knew I was just going to be in my like dorm by myself like just alone by myself um and even going to like events that weren't like sororities or like whatever it was hard for me too because I was like I'm gonna be like one of the only like brown people there like and I know I have a lot of like white passing privilege but I like my culture doesn't match up with that other people's culture right so it was really hard for me and I think like Selena and you Diana made it easier for me over time to actually like kind of made it manageable because I knew I had someone else to go to events with and then finding all these other organizations was cool but before that like it was a few rough months of just being kind of by myself and trying to navigate the space like even getting on the bus because I lived on I lived like a little bit off campus in the dorms so I had to get on a bus every day to get to campus and just getting on the bus was such a rough time for me because I knew I was going to be like stared at or like sitting next to like white people and it was so uncomfortable like being in a small space like that and then getting to campus and I went in as an English major so the whiteness in English classes was so rough for me to take. I really enjoyed um, English when I was in high school and it was complete like English in academia is so different it was a rough 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 experience because there was it was like dominated not only by white authors by white teachers, but also by white peers. So it was like, I was surrounded by whiteness in every sense of like my time on campus. So it was, it was really rough for me. I feel like that almost, I don't, I, I guess I don't know if you all resonate with that too, of feeling like there's something wrong with you. Like I had such a hard time making friends. My freshman year, I also knew a couple of people from my high school because we were all in that same program that kind of set us up to go to see you. Um, but I felt so alone. And I, in my past life, I used to go to church a lot. Um, so I tried to find like a church community. I made a friend in the dorm. So she she was awesome. She was great. Um, who invited me to like the student uh, Christian group. And I went and like everyone was white. And even there were a couple of students of color that were there. and it, But it was still like, like almost like a like I'm trying like I'm also trying to fit in or like I'm more used to being around white people and I was not and it was it was a culture shock that I think affected my sense of my spirituality and I like I was like I don't belong here I can't even find a community there and it's supposed to be like this colorblind community right I can't find that. I can't really make friends. The people in my dorm are kind of weird, but they're acting like they're cooler than, like, I don't really know what's going on. Um, and my roommate was awesome. She she played hockey and was from a mountain town. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like a wealthy mountain town. So I, I knew she understood some of what I was going through, but like our experiences were still very different. And and I think that that feeling of not belonging, that imposter syndrome, really follows us into so many different phases of our lives. And I think when I was in, when I was a freshman at CU, I tried so many different ways to fit in, and it just wasn't working. And it wasn't until I found community with other folks of color and other um, folks who like 
understood what it was to be a first generation student from a lower in, lower um, income that I, I felt like I was try, like I was finally finding my community somewhere where there wasn't any your experience of like living within the dorms of like I I lived in one of the dorms that had like what are they called like residential academic programs or something um, and um, obviously everyone on my floor was white and all the girls <laughs> were always hanging out and I and it sucks because I didn't even think it was maybe like they weren't reaching out because I was the only person of color on the floor but I thought it was like oh they're not reaching out because my roommate's weird but like it wasn't like I honestly like if I think about it in retrospect like it wasn't that like even my roommate was recruited for sorority like sororities and I was like what the hell like <laughs> um obviously I'd never wanted to do that but I was like you know just the thought that counts <laughs> um but I think it was also like for me where I felt the most weird um was always within like my departments and it kind of sucks to say that but like within psychology and within uh studio art up until literally my junior uh senior year as being a studio art um major like both of those departments never I never really felt like people that looked like me or or anything were a part of the program and also weren't like given opportunities to connect with professors like I did in psychology I did research with a professor um but literally like I only recently found out that like the two other white girls that I did research with like actually have been in contact with the professor the whole goddamn time and like they're they're applying for grad school and one of them got into NYU and I reached out to this professor like after we did research and I never heard back from this homeboy and so it was just like that that bullshit and I like remember telling one of them like one of the grad students that I was working with like hey like have you heard like have you have you heard of like what's happening with this professor like is he okay I haven't heard from him and she was like oh he must be really busy or something like the grad students which you know they were also white but they were helping me more than this professor was and then also just being hurt that I found out that like he's actually been in contact with these two other undergrad students that I also did research with um, and even when I graduated, like he was the one who handed me my diploma and I was like, Hey, doctor, blah, blah, blah. And he just didn't even like recognize me. Wow. Yeah. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Oh, it's bullshit. We need names. We And even just like within that department, right? Like, I mean, there's different forms of like psychology, like, and whatever, but like, it, this one was more clinical and, and I realized as like my time progressed within um, doing psychology that I was more geared towards counseling but even that like there was like sort of like a disappointment that I wanted to go into counseling they're like oh you're not really gonna find a job in that or like there's not really money in that or yeah maybe CU Boulder is not the best place for that like obviously like I know y'all are clinical psychology but like even though like even that like having different like levels of respect for something that's like we're both doing similar work like why not just sort of support me like and I know some of the professors there also did counseling so like what what the hell's like what's the difference there so I think we can all share similar experiences even though we were in different departments 
like Luna started off t telling us about the multiple science STEM departments she was involved with. The English department was not better. The history department was not any better either. I remember one one year I was taking a class and the room that they had scheduled was too small. So there were people that were having to sit on the floor. And um, yeah, like she got it switched after the first meeting. But also, right, like this professor had to, this woman professor had to do that because the people who scheduled the rooms did not get it together. But anyways, I was sitting in this seat next to just random white people because the history department also is a lot of white people, mostly men and people who were in international studies programs. It was okay to talk over me to each other. So here we were like trying to get everything figured out, right? And instead of asking me to switch with one of them so they could have a conversation, they just spoke over me as if I wasn't there. And for me, that, that experience really sticks with me because it's the experience that I feel like I had in so many spaces on campus where it was like I wasn't even there. Or like people would know that you were there, but it's almost like they were trying to act like you weren't. Like, you're like that almost hyper visualizes you. Yeah, you're invisible to them. Yeah, like I... I, I remember my freshman year I was like I've never I was looking at my reflection on my laptop in class once and I was like wow I'm really brown and I'm not really like I'm a lighter brown um mujer so like for me to realize how brown I was in that moment I think it was me reflecting on how different I was from everyone else in the room right like a lot of the programs that I was even involved with that the university starts like the um like the pre-collegiate program that I think some of us were involved with or had some connection with those programs, those programs that are geared towards getting more students of color and more first generation students into the university are not meant to, they're not set up to support you as you go through college. They're meant to get you to college. If you're gonna, if you're gonna switch out and drop college or transfer to another school, that's fine because they already did their job getting you to the to the university, so your number counts. It's just you having this fake parade of brown, black people who you're just using. That's what I'm gonna say. Like even within organizations that are meant to like serve first gen students, like students of color, there's so many failures within those organizations. Like I experienced that in a lot of the programs I was at. And particularly, I'm thinking of one that me and Selena were a part of and how like just looking at their leadership and the people who are supposed to represent the organization, it's all white women. Like how is that ever going to encompass like the experiences of first gen brown students, black students, Asian students, you know, like that, that makes absolutely no sense to me. And it goes with what you're saying with like, they, they just want you there. And then when you're there, it's kind of an inconvenience to them to put a lot more effort effort towards like supporting you other than like having like a meeting once a semester to check in with how you're doing. Like I've never felt like that was enough. I was like, give me money. Like I need money. I need more money. Like I'm barely able to pay my tuition. <laughs> like I don't need you to sit with me at this meeting and be like, how are you? Like 
no, like, tell me you're going to write me a letter of rec. Tell me you're going to, like, help me find a job. Tell me you're going to, like, do all these things that are actually valuable for me as a first-gen student. I think it speaks to, like, how organizations that even in academia are supposed to benefit, like, oppressed groups really also kind of fell. And that, like, I'm not erasing the, like, the the stuff that people do that does matter like you know there's a lot of important work being done on campus but i think um it's also okay to be critical of those organizations and departments even departments like i think that last part departments too mm -hmm. i know i had a really good time in some of my ethnic studies classes as an ethnic studies minor but that was because of the people that were in those classes because that department itself is also extremely um, like sexist, right? There were a lot uh, of uh, there were a lot of women professionals and researchers who were who were in ethnic studies who chose to leave or who were pushed out. I think I should say because of the culture that that existed in the department, and that that goes to say that you know we can have these departments or these programs, these centers that are meant to to work with students of color, that are meant to uplift students, and yet there are systemic issues within them because higher education is an institution that is not meant for us, right? It's It was created for white people to uphold white power, yet even through that, we are we are resisting by existing there, right? We are resisting the the history of oppression by existing in those spaces and, and continuing to push against the norm. And we are still in a way tokenized in the sense that like we put in work for them to get more people in for them. And then when we need support from them, they're like, well, this is what, like, we can't really do that or whatever. Or like, they're not willing to, to meet you there, you know? And that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. As a teacher, like, you're just a number to them, right? Like you're getting like these numbers. So to you look more diverse. And who did that work? Oh, like this group that focuses on helping first-gen students did that work. Like, ooh, like congrats. Yeah. Or even, you know what sucks too? Like having a freaking professor of color that you can sort of like, that you, th you see yourself in and then them, like when you ask for help or support, they tell you like, no, like you have to do it yourself. Like that's how I did it. Nobody helped me. Like that type of bullshit where it's like, why the fuck are you in here then? Like you say you want to help students of color. You say you want to help you know, like Latinx students, like brown students, black students, Asian students to like get them and to get them opportunities that, you know, you struggled with. But then you're over here like, well, nobody helped me when I was struggling, when I was doing this. Okay, and? Here's this link you can use. Figure it out. <laughs> and I think that also translates into the classroom where I had professors who were teaching history that wasn't taught, right? That That isn't normally taught or that we don't really shed light on or who were teaching about systems of oppression, but the way that they were teaching it was still upholding white supremacy, right? When you are still, um, I don't know, like 
lecturing at a room and not opening it up for discussion or um, when you use like resources that are still founded on white supremacy through like elitist language. Like I saw this tweet the other day and I want to share it because I think I didn't feel like, actually, no, I, I know why I didn't feel like I was smart. My freshman year, I took a history class and my professor handed me my paperback and it had all these red scribbles on it. And she basically told me to rewrite it, which like, like, thank you for telling me to rewrite it and giving me the opportunity. But also like, that's extremely harmful. I, I thought I was really smart going into college. I did really good in high school. And then I basically thought I was really dumb. And so the tweet that I saw was um, from Celia Bateman. And they said, can't believe I came into college and thought I was dumb because I didn't understand all the academic vernacular. But in reality, academic writing is intentionally written to be inaccessible. And I think remembering that is so important. So it, it gets me so heated, like talking about academia and like their failure to like actually serve us. Um, I wrote about and for my, so I majored, I ended up majoring in ethnic studies and I took like a methods class my senior year and we had to write like a final paper on a topic we chose. And basically my topic was like an analysis of ethnic studies and why ethnic studies kind of fell at what they do as well because of the teaching methods that they use. And like my professor didn't understand what I was trying to say. And then I like, I kind of walked away like feeling like like, am I not making sense? Like, am I am I crazy? Like, what? It, why why does she not like it? Why is she trying to push like other scholars on me to like incorporate into my paper? And it's because of what you're saying because it's because my teacher taught lectures. <laughs> like, I'm criticizing the way you're teaching. Like, you're of course you're not gonna understand. Like, because to exist in academia, right, you have to fit these specific parameters. And if there's anything outside of the parameter that threatens the existence of academia as this um, this space that's, that's elite, that not everyone can be a part of, then that doesn't make sense. That's not, that's not valid work. And so I don't know if you all want to share some of your support systems while you were at CU, maybe how you found your way to them and how they impacted your your experience as a first generation student so i will i will say like you know when I, I i had a cousin i had actually two cousins who were actually at cu boulder um and like growing up we were really close but then like middle of high school we were distant but i saw them at the um what's it called the umc right yeah. i forgot what like, it, like everything from folder has just escaped my mind like i pushed it away because it was so like the trauma so terrible the, the trauma honestly <laughs> um so i and okay and one of them was like older and then the other was the same year as me and like i had i think i had found out the day the first day of like college that they were also at cu boulder so i like texted them i was like hey like what's up um and we met up and my older cousin was kind of already involved with other asian american student orgs and asian orgs so i just started going to them and that's kind of where i found my community but um 
And this isn't to be salty. This isn't to be, you know, to drag them or anything, but like they were not radical. <laughs> um, they were not a space where I, like I, I felt like, you know, we could really build on Asian American activism, which is already something that's not well known. Like I think the model minority myth stifles Asian American activism and activists and knowing about Asian American activism and the history that we um, have played and being in solidarity with black and brown and indigenous folks throughout history. But um, yeah, I think like, you know, I wasn't radical. I would not say I was radical. I still wouldn't say like, I'm still learning a lot. And like, but definitely freshman year was nowhere close <laughs> to being anywhere. You know, I think it was because I was still kind of in a culture shock and still trying to understand like, you know, my place in in college and who I was and how I identify and stuff like that. So I think, you know, that was kind of my starting point. And it's always good to be with other people of color. I personally feel like I've always felt like that because growing up, my high school was Asian and Latinx folks. Like we did not, I didn't grow up with white people until recently. Like all of a sudden, all these white people are flocking into my neighborhood and that's just unheard of. Like, I'm just like, who are you and why? <laughs> but like, I think that was like a really great starting point for me was just to have Asian American folks who could kind of, you know, feel the same, who could kind of relate on some certain levels of being, you know, Asian American coming from uh, like a low, lower middle income background, commuting to college and that like just white students not understanding why they were just kind of like, why aren't you in the dorms? Like it's the college experience. And it's cause like, well, you know, one, if I can afford to live at home, if like I can, I'm going to, to like save money. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, but after that, like, I think I met Ben who used to work with source yeah. and source became Q and like, Ben and Jeannie and seeing, you know, Asian American and Karen Shimamoto yeah. seeing like Asian Americans in a social justice oriented space. I was just kind of like, I can see myself being in this space too, you know, and they really challenged me to think beyond like a very basic ident like foundation of what it means to be Asian American. It was kind of like, well, as an Asian American, like how can you be in solidarity because you're still, you know, a person of color and like different nuances of my identity being like a woman first gen like you know all of this other stuff so seeing them working towards you know and building on and trying to cultivate like social justice on campus I thought was like really impactful and I think that's where I found kind of like my second community and in Vienna who is just so like who is so welcoming and like really just thoughtful and just wanted to I don't know it's just like your demeanor and just like how open you are and just like you know I think what you do so well is that like you challenge people's thoughts but in a way that's not demeaning it's like to challenge them to just like think more and it's like a very and it's done in a very nurturing way that's like also very um compassionate and I think, like, you know, you just, like, really listen. And, yeah, I just, like, the Q Center, I think, was a really, was, like, a starting base, you know, especially as I was growing 
extremely frustrated at the Asian American community at Boulder for just wanting to, for just wanting to, to just like, you know, put on cultural shows without explaining to like a white audience what they were doing and why. And like, I, I felt so oscillated from my old, from this, from my base community that I had come, that I had built my first two years at CU Boulder um, wanting them to be more social justice oriented, wanting them to like, you know, engage more and to like collaborate and stuff, but they just felt so insular. And then the Q Center was like, it just felt like a, it was like a safe space. Like it was all people of color for the most part. We were all, it was like a place for me to feel like, you know, I could be myself and people got it. Like you didn't have to explain to them just like what it meant to be a person of color on a predominantly white campus. By the way, I did not pay Luna to say all those wonderful things about me. <laughs> Very nice, thank you. <laughs> what about you, Selena? How did you find your support systems? Um, where did you find them and how did they impact you? Yeah, um, I, think, I think my support system, my main support system was uh, Umasi Med honestly like the connections I made through that and also like even just getting to know some uh grad students and like professors at the uh, school of education through you and Esmeralda <laughs> um but I think like basically how I found Umasi Mecha was like Esmeralda and I had a friend who got involved with Zuri and Zuri was like y'all should just come <laughs> to see how it is and then that's when we met you Diana and I think that was like my biggest support system throughout undergrad and it it maintained one of my biggest support systems up until you know I graduated um but I think for me that that support system was more just like getting to to be with uh with brown folks again because like I went to a school I went to to a school within the Montbello campus in Denver and it was predominantly like brown latinx uh black students and like I also never grew up with any white um, people or students. Like, I mean, I had one white neighbor, but they ended up moving like when I was in elementary school. Um, so, <laughs> and then, um, and then you know, and then like in high school, yeah, I, I never. So that was like a big culture shock. But that was like my biggest, I think, community and support and. And then once I like got until junior and senior year of college, um, my biggest, like one of my other biggest supports was like meeting some like artists of color in the art department. Cause I, and all of them were grad students. Like they were, it was three of them. Right. And like, it sucked that I didn't get to c connect with them earlier, but um, I definitely appreciated sort of ending my, my time at the art department having that connection and, and meeting them um, and being able to talk shit about the art department because it, it sucks. And, and right now, like there's not a single person of color within any of the grad departments within the department. Cause there's like the painting department, the ceramics department, like there's not a single person of color, like my friend who's still there and it sucks, you know? And so, yeah, so that was my, my biggest support. Um, and just meeting you all, I think. And I think one of the things that we did was like, 
we were able to hang out and like grab food right and like go just hang out and do like regular like chill stuff but we were able to still sit down and have these conversations yeah, that's what like, i was gonna say regardless i think for me and my experience on campus with organizations or not i think at the end of the day what helped me the most was women of color and the women of color I met and the support and the space that I shared and knowing that although our experiences varied, our experiences were also very similar. We were going through very similar things. And like you said, Selena, whether it was like me complaining to you or Diana about like one of my classes or like something that I was going through or whether it being like you, me and you, Selena, or you and Diana, like going to walking down to Pearl Street, like to just distract ourselves or like just sitting on campus and doing whatever I think that was the most some of the moments that I really got me through college I think is just sharing space with you all and knowing that my experiences were validated and that I wasn't alone in sharing that experience I think for me I I feel very fortunate uh, because although, like I said, my first year was really rough, I didn't really feel like I belonged. I still had my um, scholarship program, so I was a part of a TRIO program on campus. And so TRIO is a federally funded program, which actually sitting that you're a part of, too, you were a part of. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a federally funded program that exists in high schools and universities, and it's aimed to get under privileged first generation students to college. And so my first year, I moved in early, like I think maybe two days, a day early, um, before like the first official move-in day so that I could be a part of their like summer preschool, um, before school started program. And that's where I met the first people that I considered friends. Um, and although like my first year was extremely difficult, it was still really nice to have Latinx, Asian, Black friends in this one building, which is also like one of the oldest buildings on campus, very indicative of how the university felt about us, right? Um, but then that summer after my first year, when I decided, I was deciding whether or not to go back to CU or transfer to a school in the spring. I worked for their summer bridge program. So where students came to the university and stayed for like a week. And that was really like my first support system. I really got to know some of the like program advisors and they pushed me to take on more leadership. Like, and then um, from there, when I became an RA, which was just like really hard so I basically, it's basically a resident advisor who stays in the dorms and is like a dorm police. So yeah, I think that says it all. Um, I policed all the freshmen, not not a past I'm proud of. And, and then at the end of that year is when, actually no, during that year is when I met Selena and Esmeralda. We were taking an ethnic studies class together, going to Umasimecha, which is um, like the Chicano, Mexican-American, Mexican student group on campus. And there are more more student groups now. But that was like a really radical space for me in terms of feeling proud of my background, feeling proud of um, being 
Mexican-American because my older siblings grew up in Mexico and then I grew up here. So it was, there was a big disconnect even at home. So that really validated a lot of my identity and um, who I was and what I wanted to do, how I expressed myself. And then working at the Q Center, which was like our multicultural center. Like, that, like there were so many powerful people, so many powerful women on campus that I just learned so much from Luna, Esmeralda, Selena, Magdalena, Wajma, um, Ceci, like so, so many people who provided space for me. And, and I think without all those women of color and all those women, Karen, oh my gosh, Karen is the best supervisor I've ever, ever had. Um, like, I don't think that I would be the version of myself that I am today where I feel comfortable analyzing myself internally, analyzing what, like being able to reflect on prejudices that I might still hold. About- There's just so many people. I'm sorry. I'm ba- I'm like just going on. But um, I think seeing the space and the ways that they supported me have influenced the way that I want to support my students in affirming who they are and who they bring into the classroom. And that is a struggle for sure, because I think there are still like remnants of what a student should look like that I hold. But I think because of all of those people that supported me while I was um, at CU, I'm able to reflect on how I'm interacting with my students and how I am supporting them. (laughs) The ending of what you said, Diana, like, you know, like that these people have influenced you to be the, the teacher and the educator that you are today. And like, I, I mean, honestly, you and Esmeralda, like, damn, I wish I was your fucking student. (laughs) Like, just straight up. (laughs) They don't learn anything. It's so sad. They're always like, why is your class so bad? Like, the why is your class so boring? When are you going to go to another meeting? Can I go to the library and do work today? And then when I tell them I'm sick, they're like, why are you here? Go home. Go home. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, like, they're right. Why are you there? They're looking up for you. It may just not seem like it, right? <laughs> but I, no, but I think, like, it's it's great. Like, y'all, like, your hearts are there and you're there to, to do it. And you're there every day because you want to do it. And I think that's what's important. And obviously, they're not going to, like, recognize that until they're older like I didn't recognize that until like fuck like my senior like my sophomore senior year of college like of high school I mean I, would, uh, I wish I had y'all as like teachers and I think I still do because like you know like even just like sitting as and having conversations as friends like like I mentioned we still have these conversations even if it's not being recorded even if it's not like because we're we're in class or whatever when we were in class before together Um, we would have these conversations and like, you know, I appreciate everything like learning from you all. And like, I always think of a funny quote, like me and Esmeralda had where it's like, I'm just trying to be a teacher. (laughs) Cause I think that's that's y'all, like y'all struggle through it, but like, look, look at y'all now. I'm just trying to be be teachers, but you are. (laughs) I don't know. Do you want to talk about grad school a little, Luna? maybe what your experience has been now that you have completed your undergraduate degree? (laughs) Uh, 
grad school is a pyramid scheme. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I honestly, so like, um, there's a part of me that honestly, like, in reflecting, you know, these past couple of months, um, that feels, you know, a part of me went back to school to kind of like reclaim a part of, you know, my higher educational experience because Boulder was just so, you know, like was very like depressing. It was very like, it just made me feel very anxious and it made me feel being in a classroom was very anxious. Like I, I felt like I couldn't, you know, speak up for fear of being, you know, called stupid. And I just didn't want that. Um, because, yeah, I did really well in high school, but it's because, you know, my teachers were went to school to teach, to, like, learn how to teach and how to cultivate, like, relationships with students and how to be a teacher. Whereas, like, you know, professors in the integrative physiology department at CU Boulder were there mainly for research, mainly for themselves, and were told, you know, you have to teach. And so that's what they did. But so I just, you know, I was, I think a part of me did go back to grad school for that, but also because, you know, like, because public health, I felt like also being a woman of color, a lot of people, I took a gap year in between undergrad and grad, and I interned at this, like, nonprofit in Colorado, and that was an okay experience. It was a very white space, and I, it, like, you know, made me even more angry at, like, white systems and white supremacy um so and a lot of them honestly white like white women in the nonprofit space men told me as a woman of color especially as a woman of color you should go to grad school to get a higher degree so that you will be paid equitably and thinking about it that's really fucked up like People, women of color should just be paid equitably, period. People of color pay equitably, right? Yes, yeah, just pay people equitably in the first place. Um, So, yeah, that's a part of the reason, too, why I went to grad school was because I didn't get a bachelor's in public health, and I felt like I wanted more formal education. Um, I thought, like, health policy was kind of the route to go, but, you know, right now for my my day job. I don't even do anything really with health policy. Like I'm a digital organizer at this nonprofit in DC. And like, I never would have thought, you know, that I would be doing that. Um, So yeah, I, I feel like public health, like is sold as the, like in the healthcare field as the most like social justice oriented and activist and radical, but it really is just filled with like, like liberals who think and conservatives and moderates and not like, you know, radical leftists or anything like that. And I felt like, especially being in DC, like where it is so capitalistic, people have really just internalized a lot of capitalistic notions. So people will step over each other. People will throw each other under the bus. Like, it's just not a very um, conducive environment for, like, growth and collaboration and stuff like that. So I think, like, I was even more intimidated being in grad school, but also because, you know, I felt like I had done this before. The classrooms were smaller and less of my professors were white. I had more professors of color 
in grad school than I had ever had in my undergraduate experience. So like, I've only done grad school for two years, but undergrad was four years. And I think that, you know, that just says a lot about C Boulder. <laughs> but I just felt like, you know, I just couldn't not speak up anymore when people would say fucked up shit in class. So, and, and then it also made me feel like I don't belong in grad school, you know, because like there were times when I would say something and the class would be like silent, like no one would say anything. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> am I, did what I say, did that even make sense? Am I making sense to these people? But then realizing yet again that grad school is an academic institution, is a model of white supremacy, was not created for students of color. And telling myself that every time I had to go to class, because um, I was like, I'm I was like working full time in the day and then went to like night classes and stuff. Telling myself right before I went to class, like it was a way for me to reaffirm that, you know, I needed to be here not to educate these people or to like teach them about anything, but to really just speak up and to make sure, you know, like that I as a woman of color in a white classroom that's basically preaching, lecturing white supremacy while also attempting to criticize like this really fucked up model of healthcare that they have created. I just was like, I, I just can't sit and let this person lecture at us anymore. I have to like challenge this, these thoughts and these notions, you know, cause like, I just definitely remember so many women of color in my classrooms challenging professors and just being like, and me being like, oh my God, like I'm learning so much from this person. So in a way it's kind of like me being like, you know, like these women of color in the past have really paved and challenged white supremacy in the classroom and challenged like a people like people in in these authoritative positions so you know i feel empowered they've like empowered me to do the same too and i think it's so powerful that like that that feeling that you had is now what's like what's driven you to complete something that i mean i can't imagine myself right now going to grad school especially with like having to re-enter a space that is so white and I mean that's not to say like the public education system is not plagued by whiteness I think most institutions that we work in whether it be healthcare, education um, even athletics right they're plagued by whiteness um, I just I can't really imagine myself having the strength to do that now and I think that having other women of color really give you strength is I think what I've learned is 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 most like healing yeah. I'm scared for grad school but thank you for sharing that <laughs> I also feel I do also feel like me and Esmeralda have halfway gone through grad school because we have and we were robbed we were I was thinking about that while Luna was talking I was like we were robbed so bad because um our, our education undergrad classes to um, get licensed were like a double dip of like, they were like master's classes and they were undergrad classes. So we had like students there who were grad students and we were taking the same class, having the same requirements, doing the same work. And we have, were just getting an undergrad. They would have like maybe to write 
one or two pages extra. Which like I'll do it if I'm gonna get my yeah. yeah. But that's also right, like how how clear is it, how much more clear is it that the school system is robbing people of color of an opportunity that they could have? Right. The the school of ed could have easily been like, okay, well you're taking the class, we can just honor the class that you're taking exactly. with master's students and give you graduate credit. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. I don't know. That's just something that I've been thinking about too, being in grad school, because so many of my colleagues are just so capitalistic. Like they're like, I'm just here to get a a higher pay, honestly. Like I'm here to get a better job, a higher pay. I'm just here to fuck with myself. I don't care about the institution. I don't care about you all. I don't care about, and these are public health people. You know, these are people who are supposed to care about community health. These are people who are supposed to care about like people but it's just something that I've been thinking about, especially in the classroom too. Like, um, what does like a radical academic institution look like, and you know, if that even exists? Because, because it's just it's just too modeled after like white supremacy right now. So like you know, like what is like a model of amazing teaching that's that's like communal and that's like that distributes power evenly between the students and the teacher look like, you know, because I don't know, like so many of my classmates are definitely capable, you know, and have taught me a lot and we've discussed a lot. And that's what I did like about grad school was it it was more seminar based. So like we could be teaching each other a little bit instead of having someone lecture at us and and then expect us to like ace the exam after doing like self-study and stuff like that. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I honestly feel like maybe we should just abolish <laughs> the academic institution as a whole. Fuck it. We should. Luna for president. <laughs> or after we abolish the system and recreate another system, she can lead it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thank you. I think I want to thank before we leave, uh, Selena and Luna for sharing space with us and sharing your knowledge and your experiences with us. Um, that was, this was so nice for me to just reflect on my experiences as well. Um, so thank you all so, so, so much for being willing to come on and be vulnerable with us. Uh, we appreciate both of you so, so much. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to episode number three. And we hope you come back for more. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.